John chapter 20 records this moment. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's true. John did do that. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And again, Jesus, oh, we skipped a page. There we go. And saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive one another's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Eh, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word to you. You may be seated.
Thanks, guys. <laughs> so wonderful to see you all. Yeah, I've got a clean face again. Yeah. <laughs> But I did realize, in that beard journey, I realized there is a cult that exists in in our culture that most of you are not aware of, but people who have beards are, that uh, you'd just be walking along and uh, someone with another beard will come by and go, kind of of like Harley riders, you know, they'll do this little nod, you know. Jan and I were in in the Caribbean not too long ago and... uh, and a bunch of Rasta guys, you know, were just, and they had all their beards, and I was suddenly in their club, you know, <laughs> and so, uh, it was pretty cool, but I'm out of the club now, <laughs> but you never know about the future. I'm so happy to be celebrating this Resurrection Day with you. Hey, cousin. <laughs> um, it just means so much, uh, not only uh, seeing um, what God has done over the years, but uh, just feeling what God wants to do right here, right now. Uh, you know, we're going to study the stories of three different people, Mary, Thomas, and Peter. And uh, I think there's... Tons of Marys, Thomases, and Peters in this room right here. I'm, I'm one of each of those people. Mary is this person of longing. Like, I'm just empty. I just wish there was something that would fill my life. And that could be you today. And my prayer is that you would give your heart and life to Jesus today. And Thomas is also me. Uh, he's... Not, I think doubter is, is a, kind of a negative word. Uh, maybe skeptic is a more positive word. And uh, some of us are skeptics, right? Just nod your head if you're, you're a skeptic. I mean, you're a person of science. You're a person of reason. I mean, bodies don't just reassemble their biological cells and put them back there and then get back up again, you know, after three days. That's just... Um, and so we, we think, really? I mean, come on. You really Didn't he just get up like a ghost? Or wasn't it just like a, a myth or some spiritual, not a physical? Uh, well, I, I hope to convince you that it actually was physical. And that's the whole point of the story. We don't get up at O Dark 30 to celebrate somebody's spirit went to heaven. You know, I mean, it's just, this, that's the whole point. It, it, it was a miracle then, it's a miracle now. And then the story of Peter that we'll get into is a story that I think all of us are familiar with. It's a story of shame. Shame is not just uh, the guilt we feel, you know, you know, that we ate too much dark chocolate, you know, or, you know, that, or what we're all going to eat at, at feasts this afternoon. But shame is, is kind of the sticky substance that sticks to my soul and says over and over, you're not enough. You're never going to be enough. You're not enough. Look at you. Look what you've done. Look what you haven't done. And it's with you. 
And my prayer is that you would be set free today through Jesus Christ. Uh, that the power of the resurrection, the truth of it, would hit you like a charging elephant. Not this quaint little thing that we celebrate, but this like... And then there's one other group I'm coming after today. <laughs> uh, it's Christians. <laughs> if I've spent the bulk of my life not converting unbelievers, but Christians. Because Christians, we need converting. We have this tendency to start out with a big God and make him small. You know, we figure him all out. He's, well, you know he's omnipotent. You know he's omnipresent. You know that uh, he's fully God and fully man at the same time. And we, we figure God all out and we package him. We put him in our pocket. And it's kind of like a Russian dolls where you start out with a big one. And you just there's a smaller one, a smaller one, a smaller one. Until the final one is, here's my God. <laughs> uh, I figured him all out. And, and, and the bigness of what it meant to follow a resurrected Savior is now this nice little thing that we uh, figured out. And whereas we used to water ski behind his boat, we expect him to water ski behind our boat now. Bless me today, Jesus, because I got it all figured out. I want to convert you. I want to convert you and me to a big God again. And let that charging elephant hit us again as Christians because it is the resurrection that is the portal through which we see everything. So now that you've heard my sermon, <laughs> let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you this day that we can celebrate the resurrection, the truth of it. And we pray now that by your spirit you would come and speak to us. And change our lives. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So the first point I want us to see here. Is that Jesus meets all three of these characters. At their point of need. Who they were. He related to them on their level. And as Jesus. As they knew him. He didn't come back as, as uh, suddenly talking in a, deep, a different voice. Uh, he didn't come back and say, hey, things are different now. You need to speak differently to me. Uh, you know, when they saw him and they heard him, they knew him as Jesus. And aren't you glad that God meets you at your point of need? He knows you. He has your number. He has your Instagram account. He has it all figured. And he comes to you as you are. You don't have to become some kind of highfalutin church person before Jesus now will begin to talk to you. He knows you as you are. So with Mary, she, she's met by Jesus outside the tomb, the empty tomb. With uh, Thomas, he meets him in the upper room and then with Peter although Peter had seen him twice as the resurrected Jesus the third time is up in Galilee 
And guess what? Peter's back fishing again. <laughs> and Peter meets Jesus in a place where he can relate. And I love that. So with Mary, who is Mary? Mary from Magdala. Magdala is a village right on the uh, Galilee coast, uh, just a few miles south of where Jesus lived and where Peter and Andrew lived um, in Capernaum, just a, a few miles south. And so she's called Mary Magdalene, which means from Magdala. And um, who is she? Well, the only thing we know about her is that she's listed as one of the major women that supported Jesus' ministry. It, it, it lists several women, about a half a dozen women. Women, you're going to love this. Uh, and you can't change history. It was women who supported Jesus' ministry. Did you know? Yeah, they, fought, they, followed, they, they couldn't be one of his dis, the 12, which were rep, representing the 12 tribes of Israel in the new Israel movement that Jesus was beginning. But... They were followers, disciples of Jesus, nonetheless, and it lists all of these women that supported Jesus' ministry. And one of them was Mary from Magdala, out of which were cast seven demons. So the unique thing about Mary is that Mary had this history of evil. Now, I've traveled enough and I've been around enough people different things and as a pastor as a psychologist and also just as a follower of Jesus I know the difference between mental uh, disease uh, and evil and I've seen I, I call them critters I've seen a few people uh, get critters cast out of them and I've seen the tears as they now are set free. It used to be this evil being inside of them that was controlling and telling them what to do and whispering in their ear and they're set free. And they can't believe it. Can't start, stop crying. So Mary had seven of these things and I think it, it happens by we just pursue some evil, some darkness, and we think we have it, we have it under control, and we keep pursuing it, pursue it. But there is a point where we don't have it, and it has us. And we cannot help but keep doing this thing. And um, so Mary was set free, and she was so thankful that she would follow Jesus anywhere. Sadly, she's been confused with a woman in the chapter before that, she's in chapter 8 of Luke. In chapter 7 of Luke, it describes a sinful woman. That's all it says. It just uses the word sinful. Um, who barges into a meal that Jesus is at. And she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. So Pope Gregory... Sorry, this is way too much information, but... Uh, <laughs> I think it's interesting. <laughs> so Pope Gregory the Great, who was, who was a great, great man, uh, 591 A.D., he preached a sermon uh, where he juxtaposed these two women, chapter 7 and chapter 8. 
the Gospel of Luke. The people listening confused what the Pope was saying, that it was the same woman. And so a tradition started that's been alive for 1,500 years that Mary of Magdala was the sinful woman who we think was a prostitute. Uh, and so now tradition says that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute that Jesus set free. Um, that's bummer for Mary. <laughs> All these years, <laughs> you know, to be known as a prostitute when you weren't. But nevertheless, that's what we think of Mary. But the point of the story is Mary was set free and she loved Jesus. She was the first to the tomb. She went with some women with the spices. And whatever she was thinking, that she would roll away the 2,000-pound stone, they, they would figure it out when they got there. They had the spices to finish the burial rites, and we'll figure that one out. Don't you love it? I mean, that's the kind of friend I want. I don't care what the obstacle is. I'm going in. He's my friend. And uh, so Mary shows up. And even when she thinks that Jesus is the gardener, she says, sir, where, if you know where they've taken the body, just tell me and I'll carry him away. So I don't know how big she was. <laughs> but so she's going <laughs> to haul. I want that kind of friend. But the point of the story is Jesus knows where she's going to go. He knows her. And Jesus shows up where she's going to show up. And then Jesus, here it is. He talks to her in Mary language. What's your language? How do you think? How do you operate? Jesus understands that. And all he says is one word. Mary. And she knows no one would say that with that tone other than Jesus. It can't be the gardener. And she turns and says, Rabboni. And she grabs a hold of Jesus with a death grip. Falls at his feet, probably wraps her arms around his knees and says, Rabboni. And Jesus says, stop squeezing me. I haven't ascended to heaven yet. You've got a job to do. Go tell my, my friends. So that's Mary. Meets her at her point of need. Thomas, on the other hand, he is the skeptic. Now, there's something to think about with skeptics. My, uh, my father was a civil engineer, and so I have a little bit of my father and my mother in me. And so I, too, am a skeptic. I, when someone tells me a story, and I don't know... If, and there's a lot of stories out there. I think we need more skeptics in society today. <laughs> it seems like you, you go online, it's like, whoa! You could just say that there's a monster running the streets of Chicago with eight heads, and everyone was like, we gotta do something. We, you know, and, and uh, don't you know? And, and uh, we need a few more skeptics today. But uh, what I've noticed about my own heart is there's a good and bad aspect of skeptics, skepticism. Um, the good part is if you use your skepticism to stay curious and find out more information. 
the bad part of skepticism, the bad motive, is you use it to avoid truth. And specifically, we've used it, I did, to avoid God. How can I believe in a God that would allow evil? What kind of God would allow Ukraine situation? What kind of God would allow a pandemic? And we, you know, the problem of evil certainly is the Achilles heel of God, you know, because we think, come on, God, do it now. But nevertheless, however we solve that, oftentimes we're using our skepticism to actually straight arm God because I want to stay Lord of my life. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and most of the time is chocolate pecan pie. <laughs> and I don't know what he's going to say. Sorry, I know there's one waiting for me when I get home today. <laughs> I don't know. I, I want him water skiing behind my boat. So that's the bad part of skepticism. And plus, I think Thomas felt bad. I mean, Jesus shows up one night and you are not there. Think of it. How would you feel if someone said, uh, sorry, all the kings and the presidents of the world showed up this afternoon in the living room. Uh, what were you doing out getting gas or whatever? Uh, you missed it. Maybe it'll happen again in a thousand years. <laughs> you missed Jesus. He showed up. We saw his hands. We saw his side. He's alive. It's him. It's not a ghost. He ate fish with us. And no, we didn't watch the fish go down his esophagus. That he's a real live person that got up. And Thomas, you know, no, unless I see his hands and his side, I won't believe. But unless I touch it. So Jesus shows up the next Sunday night. So this is a week after Resurrection Day. And by, by the way, the church after that called Sunday the Lord's Day because it's Resurrection Day. They always celebrated Sunday as Resurrection Day. So Jesus shows up. And this is curious. The doors are locked because they're still afraid that they're going to be killed by the religious leaders. So Jesus passes through the locked doors, but he's physical. And for those skeptics that we would love to re-spin the story and say, well, he was just a ghost, the part of walking through the locked doors uh, seems to go in our favor. But then the touching of the hand in the eating of the fish uh, doesn't go in our, in, in our favor at all. It just means that you and I, in our resurrected body, we will have new bodies. Aren't you glad? Yes. Like, I mean, hello? We will have new bodies. And it makes sense that a new glorified body would not be constrained by the elements and all of the, the natural laws that control our bodies in the present time. And, and so Jesus shows up, but watch, this is what happens. He knows who you are and where your address is, and he walks right over to Thomas, and he doesn't even say Thomas's name. He just walks over to him and just says, Tom, says, put your finger 
in my hand and your hand in my side. Now think of that. Thomas realizes, not only am I seeing the physical Jesus, he heard me say what I said last Sunday evening. But he's not calling me out on it by using my name and shaming me. He's just giving me the opportunity to end my skepticism. Oh, my gosh. And what does he say? My Lord and my God. He caves in. He knows you, skeptics. He's not threatened by it at all. I, I love skeptics. I, have, I was talking to one. Uh, you know, I'm a skeptic, so I can call people skeptics, you know, and, and not be offensive. So I was talking to one between services, and I remember distinctly when he came to Christ. And, you know, my tack with skeptics is that, you know, uh, I, I don't have to convert anybody. You know, they come, you got to prove to me why God, this, 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 and I just say, no, I don't. Well, yes, you do, because you're a pastor. You just, no, I don't. How about if we be friends? How about if we be friends and have a cup of coffee and we can talk and ask questions about anything we want? And if we see truth, we'll honor it as truth. And he follows Jesus now. So the third person in the story is Peter. Now, Peter... We all love Peter, old foot-in-the-mouth Peter. Uh, first to speak, uh, the, the leader, he's the quarterback that's just going to call the plays. And he called it the night of the betrayal. He says, though all of them, all of these punks, these disciples, though they deny you, I, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I will never. And of course, Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he doesn't tell him at the time. And by the way, the third time, you're going to cuss in Aramaic as you deny me. And it happens. So how does Peter feel? See, this is his point of need, this point of shame and guilt He's seen Jesus twice. He, Jesus showed up the night of the evening of Easter, the resurrection day. Then he shows up the next week with Thomas. But John tells us in John 21, the third appearance was up in Galilee. And guess what? Peter's gone fishing. That's his default. He just, you know... Hey, guys, I don't know what to do. Jesus said to come up to Galilee. Here we are. We're just kind of like, I'm going fishing. And three or four of them go fishing with Peter, including Thomas. Didymus, the twin um, that we call Doubting Thomas. So they go fishing, and this is where the text gets real fun. They fish all night and catch nothing. They paddle out to get some waves and catch nothing. They go shopping and buy nothing. 
they go get a cup of coffee and there's no coffee. The point is, you and I all have our default. What do you do when you just say, I just need to, what is that thing that resets you? I just need some time to, I just need, Jesus knows what that is. And he's coming for you. He's not afraid to walk into Macy's and find you. He's not afraid to paddle out and find you. He knows you. And so Peter's fished all night and caught nothing. So now this stranger shows up on the shore. I'm not making this up. You can read it in the Bible. John 21. He shows up on the shore and he's cooking fish. Now the irony of the text is so clear. A non-fisherman is cooking fish and the fishermen are out there not catching fish and the stranger says, friends, have you caught anything? <laughs> A little twisting of the knife. And of course they say no. Now, fishing is hard work. These, we find out from the text that the they're, they're fishing without their robes on, which is manly. You know, they're just in their skivvies. They, no one out there but them. And it's hard work, and they're sweating, and putting the nets in, and then after some time, pulling them in, the nets in, and, and they're heavy, and finding nothing in the nets. And so the, he says, try the other side. <laughs> now think of the map, so that the, the boats are about nine or ten feet wide and and they're not dummies like right <laughs> try the other side of the boat like all night there wouldn't be one stray fish that would just <laughs> swim to the other side of the boat but at the stranger's bidding they said whatever and so they cast it to the other side of the net and the text says they caught 153 fish. Very specific, not 152, not 154, 153. And that's a huge catch. And the writer says that uh, it was stunning that there wasn't any break in the net. It was so heavy. And John, the one who was closest to Jesus, says, it's the Lord. He caught it. It's got the fingerprints of Jesus all over Remember at the start of our ministry, he said, go out and catch fish. And we, this, this has got to be the Lord on the shore. He was 100 yards away. And Peter puts his robe on, which sounds strange to us um, as water lovers. We take our clothes off to go into the ocean. He puts his clothes on, dives into the water, and swims 100 yards with a bathrobe on. To get to Jesus. I gotta get to Jesus. Jesus came to me. I'm a fisherman. I do fish. Jesus is cooking fish on the shore. I'm doing Jesus. He's meeting me at my point. You get it? This is Jesus' style. He comes to you 
And, and he, he wants to find you today. He already knows you. He knows your name. He knows your number. And, and he comes to you, speaking to you on your level. I love this about Jesus. Jesus did this for me. 2 a.m. in the morning, being a stupid teenager of 18, Jesus shows up. And I still have it to this day. I start writing, and I just said, who are you? Uh, I, I, I'll follow you. <laughs> um, he came to me. He knew where my bedroom was. Don't you love that about Jesus? It's the whole incarnation, isn't it? God becoming man. God coming to the earth. Uh, eternity entering finite world. And, and, and deity, humanity to get to you and me. It's the Bethlehem story. Only reenacted for you. So let me move on. The second point I want you to see in the text here is that God not only meets you where you are, but he wants to lift you from where you're stuck into a new place. Our society right now is stuck. Are you aware? And you, you know what we're stuck in? It's, we're stuck in ourselves. So we have this postmodern philosophy that has now uh, taken over modernity. Modern philosophy said, if I can't reason it, and I can't measure it in a science test tube, then it doesn't exist. David Hume, mod, modern thinking. And then somewhere, those crazy people that were back in the 60s and 70s, wonder who they were, um, <laughs> they moved us forward into post-modernity. And post-modernity says, uh, What's true for you may not be true for me. Truth is relative. Truth has a context. You feel this way about yourself. I feel this way about myself. You're this. I'm that. There is no absolute. It's just relative personal truths. Now, if you ask anyone who says that, are you sure? They'll say, absolutely. Which is interesting. So we're stuck here. We have nothing to deliver us from us. Whatever I'm feeling is true right now. And thank God he meets me where I am. But I need someone to take me from where I am. I don't want to be the center of the universe. I don't want to be the one who invents God. Think of that. When we say... Well, I just think God is this. And well, well, I just think that God is this. Did you just make God? It's a little game we play. We can't do that with work. Well, in my heart, I showed up at 9 o'clock. In my heart, I was there. We just do this with these uh, philosophies and religions and things that people can't see. But we need something to define reality. And guess what? 
the resurrected Jesus comes to us and he gives us some objective truth outside of ourselves. It's not ethereal resurrection. He really got up. It really happened. And then when he shows up for each person, he doesn't just leave them where they are. He takes them somewhere else. So he doesn't say to Mary, Mary, I can understand why you'd be here. You're kind of a garden girl. You just stay here. And you just think about it and uh, recover and spend your time here. See you later. He says, Mary. And another gospel says, go and tell the disciples. Get to work. There's a resurrected Jesus, and somebody needs to know about a resurrected Jesus. And Mary, by the way, you'll find your identity as you go and follow me. With Thomas, Jesus simply says, stop doubting and believe. It's time. He could have said, Thomas, you're kind of a skeptic little buddy. You just kind of be one of these little roly-polies that just kind of covers up and rolls around because you just don't feel like the world is quite what it should be. He says, stop doubting. Believe. I'm here. And by the way, do you know what Thomas did? This is history right out of the pages of southern India. He became the apostle to India. Any Indian will tell you that, yeah, the gospel came. And we have a wonderful person uh, who's connected with our church living in Fallbrook, her, whose husband is putting together a movie to tell the story of Apostle Thomas. I mean, like a Hollywood-type movie. So Thomas gets out of his doubting, and he says, you know what? My identity is not in doubting. It doesn't get me anywhere. My identity is in a resurrected Jesus. And everybody needs to know this resurrected Jesus. And then Peter. Oh, Peter's the best story. Peter, you know, denied the Lord three times. So Jesus has this little fire going, and they all eat fish. It's, it sounds kind of cool, you know, to have fish, pretty healthy, uh, for breakfast. And uh, at some point in the meal, it's not in the text, but Jesus and Peter get up. And so I'm thinking that Jesus must have done the guy thing. Gals, you may not be aware of this, but guys, we have language that uh, you know not of. And uh, so guys uh, go like this. And the other guy responds and goes, and that means, let's, let's go over there. Let's go talk. And which they do, and thankfully John follows, otherwise we wouldn't have the story. And so they're walking along, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, Lord, I love you. 
Jesus says, right on. <laughs> Feed my sheep. Walking along, quiet again. Peter, you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. That's cool. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? <laughs> that had to come down on Peter like a thousand bricks. He knew what Jesus was doing. Three times, three times, three denials, three confessions of love. Now, in modern times, those of us that have studied Greek, we love to make a lot of the fact that Jesus changes the Greek word from phileo to agapao, and, uh, which is God's love, and phileo is brotherly love, and Jesus... But I want to be careful here, although I am a great student of Greek, that um, the text actually interprets itself. And it doesn't say Peter was grieved because Jesus switched the Greek verb. It says Peter was grieved because he asked the third time. He got it. And like that, Jesus lifted his shame. And I love the class act of Jesus. I don't like to be around people who love to use shame on people. Shame on you, you didn't come to church last week. Shame on you, you didn't give more. Shame on you, you didn't... And some of us were raised in a shame-based family. And I love to think that God is not... He, that's, that's a low motivational tool. Uh, that God doesn't have to do that. That God... You know, he understands that shame is a tool of the devil. That's why we feel so bad about ourselves <laughs> since the fall. And Jesus comes to lift the shame. And he does it without even mentioning the sin. I mean, what would you do if you were Jesus? So Peter, so you think you can be my disciple now? He's tapping his foot. And now he's going to do the swagger of his head. So, three times with cussing. <laughs> I thought you were my friend. You stabbed me in the back, dude. You know, and just kind of rail on him for a while and then once he feels about this big all right well you can you can be a my disciple not as not a good disciple but just a disciple <laughs> and by the way why don't you hit the dirt and do 200 push-ups right now and say i'll never do it again i mean what a class act man to man meets jesus peter at his point of need and never mentions the sin and does it with positive, not negative. Do you love me? And he allows him to positively state that he does. And then he just says, you got you to gotta get back to work. There's a great line in Top Gun. I didn't think I would be quoting Top Gun this morning. <laughs> but it just came to me. It's that scene where Tom, what's his name? Uh, he has that scary moment in the air, and he's kind of afraid to get up and fly again. 
And uh, his superior officer says, you got to get him up flying again. And some of you here need to get up flying again. You thought, I can never be used again. God wouldn't want to use me. God wouldn't. you got to get up flying again. Get to work. So he pulls us out of our feelings and our subjectivity into something else. And it's the resurrection of Jesus. That's why it becomes the big event. So let me bring this to a close. The baby's telling me. I speak baby. And the baby is saying, Pastor, you've gone too long. I get it. I get it. So... The resurrection in the New Testament becomes the portal through which we see life now. It's not a day that we just celebrate once a year and say, well, that's cool. He got up. That makes the fact that he died for my sins valid. So that's cool. It, no, no, no. That's just part of it. It is the door through which everything now happens. In the Roman world, they built arches and they figured out that the way you build an arch is to create a keystone because otherwise they didn't have reinforced steel so what are you gonna do when you're building stones and you're stacking them and now what do we do they're gonna collapse right so they created a V stone which is the keystone that displaced the weight out to the outer walls and they could build arches all they wanted. The resurrection is the keystone to your faith, to your Christianity. Because, because he got up, you know that all of Jesus' teachings and his miracles are true. Do you believe it? Yes. Because he got up, you know that Jesus begins to give you now forgiveness do you believe it yes. because he got up you know that your old man is dead and and you now are a new creation in Jesus Christ and he is transforming your character do you believe it yes. and because he got up one day all things are going to be put right including Ukraine, including a polluted world, including evil and, and all the different distortions that happen in humanity called sin. All of that is going to be done away. The Bible promises us that in the Gospels, in, in the epistles, and in Revelation. Do you believe it? Yes. Julian of Norwich in the 1400s, this wonderful mystic... Christians said all will be well because of the resurrection all not part of it not some of it but all will be well do you believe it yes. now you see why the resurrection is so important because if you don't see life through the resurrection glasses it's a tough life to live
I was talking to a friend of mine between services whose friend has spent some time in prison. And I asked, how do you see the world? And she said, through the resurrection, that it's going to be okay someday, that all will be well. The old is gone. The new has come. I can't end this sermon without mentioning C.S. Lewis. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, not only does Aslan get up, not only does he shatter the stone table, but he has the children climb on his back and they ride on this charging lion and leap over the wall of the castle of the white witch and the lion breathes on all these statues that she's turned into stone living creatures and people who used to have a life and they now have a life once again and it's a picture from Lewis's pen of what happens in the resurrection so this morning my friends in just a moment I want to give you an opportunity to respond if you're Thomas the doubter, if you're Mary the longer, if you're uh, Peter, man full of shame, or if you're just an ordinary Christian who's shrunk God down, you forgot about the bigness of the resurrection, that, uh, or if you just walked through that door and you're hearing the gospel for the first time, to give our hearts to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this day that we're not following a fairy tale. We haven't gathered to spend these hours spinning a myth. But this story is true. And all of the saints who have suffered and died and been martyred because they believe in the resurrection. And all of the disciples who are willing to die because they knew they were telling the true story. God, we today reaffirm our faith that the resurrection is true and that you, Jesus, got up. And Lord, we want to put on resurrection glasses and begin to see life through this portal. That heaven has come to us in advance. That the future has come into the present in advance and that you have saved us and you're calling us into this new life this new world that will last forever now this morning while we're praying while our heads are bowed I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this clear gospel and so this morning if you hear Jesus Hugging on your heart like the hound of heaven who's been pursuing you. I want you to raise your hand. And I love raising my hand because it's kind of a sign of surrender. Uh, don't shoot, I give up. Um, it, it's what faith is it's, it's admitting, I can't do it. It's you, God.
So whether you're a Mary longing, whether you're a, a Thomas doubting, or you're a Peter dealing with guilt and shame, just raise your hand where you are. And I want to pray. Yes, God bless you down here in the middle. God bless two of you over here to my left. Three of you, four of you, way over to the wall. Thank you. God bless you um, over here to my left. A couple of you way in the back. And yes, young lady here and, and another one right there. Over to my right. Yeah, thank you. I love two hands. That's best way to surrender. <laughs> Several over here to my right. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. If I didn't see you, just shoot your hand up. Or, or maybe if you're like me and you're still at war with yourself, just shoot it up real quick. Yes, thank you, ma'am. God bless you and, and you, ma'am, and you, sir. Way, way in the back with a white sleeve and a black sleeve over here to my left in the alcove. Any others? Yeah, thank you. So good. Yes, thank you, ma'am. God bless you. So good. I just feel like crying and screaming and laughing all at once to see my friends, my brothers and sisters who will be together forever that we have chosen to follow Jesus. And there's no shame here. I want to lead you in a prayer, but before I do that, just to say there's no shame here. We, we don't care if you're recommitting or if you're re-double committing or if, you're, if this is the first time that you've surrendered your life to Christ. The point is, this is a moment you're coming clean. It's between you and the Lord, not between us. So if you raised your hand, um, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, and I'm going to ask the rest of us to pray this prayer together out loud so we can all do this together as a family. Dear Lord... Come into my life. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. So come in and cleanse my life. Forgive me of all my sin. And clean house. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to follow you and to live this new life. For from this day forward, I am a follower of yours. You are my Savior and my Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.